0: When you look at Jesus and what he is saying, it might be hard to understand. It might be hard to reconcile in one's mind, depending on one's preconceived biases. But the fact of the matter is you have to make a choice and you can say, well, I can't, I just can't accept this. You've got to be nuts or you're demon possessed. Or one can say, well, you know what? I might not understand everything, but my goodness. He talks with a lot of wisdom and a lot of authority, and more importantly, he's doing all these incredible things. So there's got to be something there.
1: Liar, lunatic, or Lord? C.S. Lewis posed this question in his book, Mere Christianity, and it fuels the debate we find in our 24th episode as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. In part two of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. We find this dilemma in our lesson for this week as the people and the religious leaders debate over who Jesus is, with some believing, some unsure of what to make of him, and some rejecting him to the point where they pick up stones to kill him. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please listen through to the end to learn how you can connect with this podcast and with all that is happening at St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward.
0: Now, uh, Jesus continues after stating that he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and then goes back to talking about false shepherds. He who is the hired hand or is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So this is someone who's not really technically a shepherd, but is kind of there to fill in for the shepherd. But he does a terrible job because he really isn't concerned about the sheep. Now, who do you think the hired hands are here? The hired hands are the religious leadership of Israel and any false teacher or pastor in the church. Because what this is, is not someone who's just really way off in, you know, some cult, some ridiculous, you know, stuff. It's someone who has been experienced with the truth, has been given the responsibility of caring for the flock. But when threats come, when false doctrine comes they don't stand and guard the sheep they take off and that's what's happened in a lot of churches we're entrusted as shepherds to guard the sheep from false doctrine from false worship from false discipleship that's our responsibility But if you're not really grounded in the truth, if you don't have firm convictions, if you don't really have the Holy Spirit in you, then you're not going to be there when the tests come. The tests came to the Episcopal Church 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and there were many who were not. They were hired hands. And as a result, that church has totally imploded. It's a disgrace. It's about a third of the size that it was about 40 years ago. The wolf is Satan. The wolf is all that that represents the world, the idolatry, the false worship, anything that is contrary to God's word. The wolf represents that spiritual evil that purports or that projects and proclaims a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. Remember, Antichrist means against and or in place of. So, anytime anyone stands against Christ or seeks to have something in place of Christ, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. So, for example, I mean, I can give you a lot of examples. We don't have time. You can have a great church with great buildings, great spectacles, great vestments, great music, great incense. But if that becomes more important than Jesus, if that becomes more important than faithfully living out the gospel in the highways and byways of the community, if that becomes more important than living righteously in your family and in wherever context you're in, that's an idol. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's going to take people away from Jesus. It's not going to bring people into right relationship with Him. That's just one example. Verse 14, now Jesus repeats Himself. You've always heard me say that everything, He repeated Himself about being the door, now He repeats Himself about being the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now see, this is awesome because, and we see Him pray this in John 17, that that we would become one with one another and with Jesus as He and the Father are one. So what Jesus is saying is that we can have an intimate relationship with Him, just as He has an intimate relationship with His Father. It's pretty amazing. What a wonderful promise. We can be intimate with God. And then He says, second time, I lay down my life for the sheep. So this shows the love that the shepherd has for his sheep. The shepherd willing to give his life for the sheep Verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, who are the other sheep? The other sheep are Gentiles. Jesus came first to the lost sheep of Israel, the lost house of Israel. He first came to the Jewish people. That was God's first responsibility because it was through the Jews of the covenant's were given. The Jews, Israel, was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, but they failed. God himself had to come and do it. But he came first to his own, but remember what did John write in the chapter 1? He came to his own, Jesus, came to his own, Israel, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I don't know if you catch the, caught this or not, but this theme is throughout the Gospels and throughout Paul's letters and Romans and Acts. The problem that happened in Judaism is they were thinking that they were special. They were, right? God gave them the covenants, but it was through birth, through circumcision, through genetics. I'm born a Jew, so I'm, I'm one of the chosen people. But what John is highlighting is the fact that Jesus came to his own, his own rejected him, meaning that the majority of the Jews did not receive Jesus. A good minority did. But the beautiful thing is God gives everyone the right to become his child. Everyone the privilege of being a recipient of the blessings of his covenants simply by faith in his name, Jesus. Not of blood, will of the flesh or will of man, but of God and that's why then later, in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, who is a leader of the Jews, right? He's a Pharisee. He's one of the Sanhedrin. He says, you must be born again. got to be born with water and the Spirit if you're going to enter the kingdom. And so when Jesus talks about having sheep of another flock, he's talking about the Gentiles. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So now, there's a few things going on here. First of all, it reiterates the fact that the Father and the Son are on the same page, literally, they're in sync. And yet we have places in the Scriptures where it says that The Father raised the Son from the dead. And the Spirit raised the Son from the dead. But here, Jesus is saying, I raise it on my own initiative. I lay it down. This tells us a couple things. First of all, it shows us that Jesus is not just being forced to lay down His life by His Father. He is choosing to do so in love for His Father and in love for all of us. Second, it highlights the fact that we, even though man put Jesus on the cross, Man did not overpower Jesus. If Jesus didn't want to be put on the cross, he wasn't going to be put on the cross. The amazing thing about his love is that he was willing to take the abuse to suffer and die, even though he had the power to wipe everybody out. That's what's so that the, the most one of the most poignant moments for me in the movie The Passion. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Passion back in 04, I think it came out, in Mel Gibson's movie of Jesus' crucifixion, was there comes a point where, I mean, he is just being beaten to a pulp, or he's being whipped to a pulp, and they're, the Roman soldiers are just nasty, and it's like Jesus is refusing to lash out. It's like, give it all you got. Hate me as much as you want. Try to destroy me as much as you want. I'm not going to to react. I'm not going to destroy you. That is an incredible demonstration of love and commitment. And Jesus says, I willingly do it. I'm not forced to do it. I don't have to do it. It also debunks this baloney where you get some in the church, especially Bishop Spong, who's a heretic, who says that the cross is child abuse. What kind of father would have his son go to the cross. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some in the church who don't like the idea of the cross. doesn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. But they count that as child abuse. But that's not it whatsoever. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He says so here. Now, a division, as you might suspect, occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? The beautiful thing about this response is it is a response that highlights human nature. It is the same response that we have today. When you look at Jesus and what he is saying, it might be hard to understand, it might be hard to reconcile in one's mind depending on one's preconceived biases but the fact of the matter is you have to make a choice and you can say well i can't i just can't accept this you've got to be nuts or you're demon possessed or one can say well you know what i might not understand everything but my goodness he talks with a lot of wisdom and a lot of authority and more importantly he's doing all these incredible things so there's got to be something there And so what you're having here is this debate. This debate that is the tension between doubt and faith. The tension between succumbing to self-serving interests or having an open mind and getting outside yourself and saying, hey, wait a minute, what is he actually trying, what is he really trying to say here? This actually makes a lot of sense when it comes to understanding life and why we're here and where we're headed and what it means to be truly a loving person and so that's what people are wrestling with it's the same thing people wrestle with today but this response i think is articulated well in c.s lewis's book mirror christianity many of you have read it if you haven't i recommend it remember c.s lewis was at one point i believe an atheist or agnostic he was from England, and he uh, be- he was an Anglican, and he became a devout Christian, and wrote a whole host of apologetic books, as well as the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, that wonderful fiction of of a fairy tale land, Narnia, uh, but had so many uh, gospel or, or biblical parallels. Aslan being the lion who represents Christ, and so forth. But in any event, in mere Christianity, he said that when it comes to Jesus Christ. There are really only three choices either jesus is who he said he is and that is lord or he knew he wasn't lord and god and so that would mean he was a liar or he thought he was lord and god but didn't realize that he wasn't so that would make him a lunatic or crazy those are really the only three choices we have either he's lord he's a liar or he's a lunatic you cannot call him a great prophet or a good man and that is very true if he is a liar then he has accomplished the greatest conspiracy the greatest hoax the world has ever known he's definitely not a lunatic because a lunatic wouldn't have said the things he said wouldn't have commanded the the respect and so he's either liar or he's lord you have to make that choice okay uh, we've gotten through the first 21 uh, verses the first half of chapter 10, it reminds us of the connection of Jesus with Yahweh, the Old Testament. It highlights again that he is God in human flesh. It makes the point that there's only one road to salvation. There aren't other means. There aren't any other doors or avenues. It's because of who Jesus is. He lays down his life for us. He also is the only one who rises again on his own power, on his own authority in conjunction with the Father's. And it calls everyone to a choice. Who do you say that I am? So we got 10 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the second half of chapter 10 as much as I can. You've got the notes. So now we have a debate that arises during the Feast of dedication, which would be modern- day Hanukkah, which celebrated when Judas Maccabeus cleansed and purified the temple after Antiochus, Epiphanes, a terrible ruler. Uh, desecrated it. He uh, tried to bring Hellenized, he tried to bring Greek philosophy and Greek religion into the Jewish world. It would be kind of like today people taking the the culture, the things of the uh, society that are not part of the word, but trying to push them in and integrate them into the faith. That's exactly what happened and that's a real problem. Uh, and so that's what the Feast of Dedication was, to remember the purification and the rededication of the temple after it had been de- uh, desecrated uh, by this uh, terrible uh, ruler. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The portico of Solomon is a wonderful uh, area. You've got a similar all the way around. Uh, this would protect people during the, from the sun during the heat of the day and from rain in the winter, Solomon's portico was on the east side. It was overlooking the Kedron Valley. So there would always be people walking around this area. Jesus was there. He would get a a gathering of people and he would preach and he would teach. So that's what's happening. In fact, we're told that he was surrounded. He was encircled by folks that really did not want to listen to what he had to say, but were more curious as to what he could do for them. We notice in verse 24, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, you say, well, wasn't Jesus telling them that he was the Christ? He was, but he wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear. What they wanted to hear was that he was the Christ who is going to lead the Jewish people over Rome, kick the Romans out, and defeat Caesar. That's what they wanted to hear. That's not why Jesus came. Moreover, Jesus is not about the politics of man. If you want to understand the spirit of the world, simply study politics. If you want to have to engage in the spirit of the world every day, engage in politics. Politics are a wonderful microcosm of the spirit of the world. They are the antithesis to the Kingdom of God. That is why the spirit of the world, these men, couldn't embrace Jesus couldn't understand it because they were looking at it from a political worldly mindset and that's not what jesus was talking about so then jesus answers on verse 25 i told you and you do not believe the works that i do in my father's name these testify of me but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, aren't these wonderful promises? So, Jesus is not promising an earthly kingdom, Jesus is promising a heavenly reality that is to be experienced in the earthly world but transcends to eternal life. That's what Jesus is important, uh, is pointing out to. For all of us, we know that's what's most important in life. Nothing wrong with politics, nothing wrong with getting involved with that stuff, but that's not the answer. The answer is Christ. So let's see here, I'll wrap things up pretty quick. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is another indication of the uniqueness of Jesus, and just shows us that he is of God and the nature of love. Jesus was, is awesome, Right? He's the Son of the living God. He's all-powerful, and yet He humbles Himself to become a man. But even as He humbles Himself to become a man, He always defers to the Father. He always gives glory to the Father. He always points to the Father. Not to Himself, even though He had every right to. And then He says, though, the clincher. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Why? Because He's committing blasphemy. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. This is the one stumbling block today that Jews have and Muslims have. This is the greatest stumbling block to prevent Jews and Muslims from following Jesus because they cannot conceive that God would humble himself and become a man. They think that's disrespectful to God. They think it's absurd. We've accepted it. I will say, though, that that, just like when people say, I can't understand the Trinity, so I can't believe that. Well, what are you doing? In both instances, you're putting God into a box. You're actually limiting God. You think that that the belief is limiting God. It isn't. You're limiting God by your not being able to believe to think outside the box to know that with God all things are possible and we'll see how Jesus answers their criticisms and then we'll wrap it up right here verse 34 Jesus answered them has it not been written in your law I said you are gods and you are the sons of the most high that is a quote from Psalm 82 verse 6 I believe I have that in your notes and basically it's where God is referring to rulers, human rulers as gods, but then says you're going to die like men. And so basically, what it it highlights what Jesus is saying is if God is referring to men as like gods, we're made in God's image, we have the potential to be like God, but that can be taken away from us, then why do you have such a hard time with me calling myself the son of God? And see, that raises a very important question, which I just alluded to in terms of living in God and putting God in a box. If God can take us and make us like Him, you're telling me that He can't become like us? Still being God? And so that's why Jesus quotes this psalm. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he looted the grass because his time wasn't up we read in other parts right god's in control verse 40 and he went away again beyond the jordan to the place where john was first baptizing and he was staying there that's in the Priya region that's it's under the region of Herod at antipas uh, which he wasn't in control of jerusalem he wasn't being uh, jesus wouldn't be harassed there and we read that many ended up believing in him many came to him because this is where john the baptist had his ministry at first verse 41 many came to jesus and were saying while john performed no sign Yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So, we end with belief. We began with debate. We continue with rejection, but then we end with belief, which again highlights we all have a choice. How are we going to live? Who are we going to believe? What are we going to put our faith in? Jesus or man? The kingdom or man? That's the choice, and we can see all the good reasons why we should always choose God and His Son, Jesus Christ.
1: You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.saintbartston.org. Again, that's www.saintbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transforminglivestogetherpodcast and give us a like. And if you're an Amazon Alexa user, say, Hey Alexa, play the Transforming Lives Together podcast to hear the latest episodes. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's letter to the Colossians. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God bless.